Hello, I'm Ben Shaw, and this is Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. If you've done any armchair sailing, you've probably heard and seen SV Delos. With over half a million YouTube followers, their videos have inspired many to adventure. Today, I'm joined by two of the Delos crew, Brady Troutman, known to many as Senor Brady, and Alex Blue, who goes by Blue. Brady and Blue have left the high seas for a bit and are starting a new adventure in the mountains around Lake Tahoe. While they didn't expect to be landlocked for so long, they've taken advantage of the curveball that COVID threw their way and started a sailing school called Cruisers Academy. They've already built a fleet of boats and are offering sailing classes for those who want to learn the basics of sailing on the crystal blue waters of Lake Tahoe. I talk with Brady and Blue about their time sailing on Delos, a 53-foot Amel Super Maramu owned by Brady's brother, Brian. We catch up on their adventure sailing in Svalbard with Andy Schell and Mia Carlson of 59 North, a beautifully shot documentary series called 80 Degrees North came out of that expedition. And we also talk a little bit about their plans for the future. Brady Blue and I caught up on Zoom a few weeks ago to have this conversation. Enjoy. This is Brady. He has spent the last 10 years, besides this last crazy year, sailing around the world. Mm-hmm. and he's a bit of a goofball I like to think of him as the perfect combination of a man and a boy and he can <laughs> most of the time he can he chooses the right one to be you know with some slipping slipping here and there he sailed from Mexico all the way around the world and ended up in Lake Tahoe in the mountains <laughs> so if you want to know all the in-betweens we'll get to that we'll get to how, how you got your boat up into the mountains but uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah all right brady uh, you introduced blue yeah, so this is alex she's more commonly known as blue in the sailing world because her middle name is blue and i call her blue and some people are very confused by that when i do call her blue they're like what the hell are you talking about and a lot of people think it's her last name but it's a middle name she grew up in the area in petaluma and has been into videography and photography in the ocean since she was young. Started her path after college, traveling and, and visiting South America, and really falling in love with working for herself and videography and photography. And somehow the universe brought her to Delos, which brought her to me in South Africa about what, three and a half years ago. I think we're coming up on four. Coming up on four years together. Our first uh-huh. date was crossing the Atlantic Ocean yep. together. We've, we've crossed the Atlantic together three times. One direction, one direction, and back, or something like that. <laughs> so we've, we've lived in close quarters and sailed together. Uh, those four years are pretty much like 20 years of a normal couple. Close quarters, like you said, first state crossing the Atlantic. There isn't an easy escape. You don't just walk out the restaurant door if it's not working out. But I mean, you guys didn't start as a couple on the passage. How did you know that something was was brewing? <laughs> I would cuddle with her a lot. He was <laughs> after everyone went to sleep and 
start cuddling with me and but it was freaking cold man we were sailing from cape town up the coast of namibia <laughs> it was cold and she was sleeping alone and i was like man she must be really cold <laughs> so <laughs> i would um crawl in bed and cuddle we actually did it was it was actually cuddling and uh i don't know a month later or so we we started uh, kissing on the lips and <laughs> but i think even before that right when i arrived in cape town and everyone was kind of in get ready mode to cross, you know, to start this passage. And, you know, we would all talk about what we're going to do and how we're going to get everything done. And right away, me and Brady kind of just headed off and yeah. started, you know, knocking things out together and going on little missions on his uh, motorcycle. And it was just kind of an, an instant connection as, as friends. And then, yeah, it grew into more. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And let's back up a second. You were on SV Dallas for how long before blue came aboard i joined brian my brother in mexico in 2010 it was like march of 2010 uh -huh. was when i moved onto the boat and it was supposed to be for yeah a three-week trip from mexico to the marquesas into the south pacific and i was going to go back to college because i was 22 at the time and Brian, he's 10 years older than me, so he was 32. He'd, he'd had a lot more of the life things figured out. <laughs> then it turned into a circumnavigation and 10 years later. Wow. Do you, were you making videos from the beginning? No, we actually didn't start filming until, let's see, we left Mexico in 2010. We crossed the Pacific, got to New Zealand, like November of 2010. And then we were filming a little bit here and there, but it was like a little point and shoot cameras, like the Olympus Tough, you know, those little shitty throwaway oh, I remember them, yeah. But that's, that's all we had, and that's all we really thought was out there for what we were doing. And it was, it was just for family and friends, and we wrote a blog. We didn't really start actually filming to make episodes until a couple years later, probably the end of 2012 or so. So two years of full-on cruising, running out of money, shit breaking all the time like well that happens all the time actually that still hasn't, hasn't changed <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but the, those first years there was no um there was no business involved there was no youtube channel involved at all what came first did you say oh maybe we could shoot these videos and make some money or did you just say let's just start shoot, shooting these videos and putting them up there yeah it was definitely the the latter it was we were shooting videos for our family and friends and for us to watch like brian and i would just sit around and be like dude it's gonna be so cool to see this shit in 20 years like that was our thing right it's just like oh this is so funny you see that what i just recorded and it was more of just like a fun game and then our family and friends would watch and be like well okay i i really understand what you guys are doing now i didn't really get it from the written blogs and the photos but now i understand from video a lot more so that's what it was for years and years it was it was just that and i mean your youtube channel has been phenomenally successful to the point where a lot of people are like oh yeah okay i'm gonna go cruising and just do what they did and make money uh making videos but when did you guys realize oh shit we actually a lot of people are watching this i don't know man i still don't realize it sometimes there's still like a different reality i think um it was it was probably around 2013 or 14 so three years in is when like youtube sent us a random check for you know 30 dollars or 40 dollars or whatever it was for ad revenue to my dad's house in florida and we're like what the hell is this why did youtube send us money and we realized it was because they were putting ads on our videos and other people were watching 
Like we didn't know about view counts or view duration or any of anything that was going on in the world. We would just put the videos up and never look at them again or never even look at who watched them really. So at that point, you kind of take a step back. And, and of course, during that time, we were doing odd jobs, whether it was working on the sailboats or I was working at a lot of Mexican restaurants in New Zealand and Australia, managing them because Americans know Mexican, apparently. Is that where the Senor Brady comes from? That was it, man. Yeah. I worked, <laughs> I worked, at, I worked at a place in Australia and there was a, a badass Colombian guy named Nestor. And he would just come up and be like, Senor Brady, Senor Brady. And it just kind of stuck. What do we do with the skid marks? Or what are the skid marks? And then, <laughs> it, was, it was so much fun working there. Imagine like me and a bunch of Colombian students working in a Mexican restaurant in Australia. It was just like a bunch <laughs> of weird cultures put together. But yeah, once we realized we could make money by not doing those things and not Brian was doing remote coding, once we realized there was a possible potential of this growing, then it became, then we kind of kind of put all attention towards it and really buckled down. $30 quickly grew? Not quickly, man. <laughs> I mean, it took six, seven years from 2010. We weren't really working on the YouTube channel those first two years, but 2012 till 2017, I'd say five years of, of constant work of really not making any money and not even covering the cost of the boat. In 2017, somewhere around there is when we actually started to cover the expenses of the actual cruising. So we weren't having to go find jobs. We could pay for the insurance and food and diesel and all the normal stuff of living on a boat. And Blue, when did you hear about these guys? Well, I, there's an interesting misconception that I like watched the videos and <laughs> she's had very my, clear to correct had people. My, on had this. my eye on Brady and like swooped in but complete bullshit <laughs> i didn't even know that the sailing youtube world existed and i had kind of gotten into sailing uh the summer before in colombia living on a boat out there yeah came back to tahoe here in california and one of my sailing friends that i had made out there um sent me a youtube video one day and said hey i think you'd really like these guys and I knew that I wanted to sail more, so I already had that in my mind. But I watched, yeah, I watched, I think, two minutes of, I don't even remember what episode. And I was like, they're sailing, they're filming, they're scuba diving. That's the boat I should be on. Those are all the things I like doing. And I just wrote a random email. It's like, wanting to get involved, smiley face. You didn't see me in any of those videos and be like, that I want to go hang out with him. <laughs> no. I was like, I want to go sail, dive, film. Yeah, that was it. There was no, yeah. Okay. And, and then, yeah. And to my surprise, I just got an email back from Brian, which in retrospect now being on the back end of Delos and like knowing the general email that I sent it to, I can't even believe that anyone read it, much less responded. I mean, Brian checks his email like every second Monday for like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So it's like. <laughs> well, Brady, you have to thank your brother for responding. I do. I mean, we, that was a weird period. We had like two months where we would go into the, cause we were in Cape town at the dock and we would just go through and read like, it's like comments and stuff and really cool people that are inspired or whatever. So we were going through this phase of, we'd have a couple rum, rums and just read through them. And like, I don't know, just be super happy from ear to smile from ear to ear. And that's when we were in that phase of reading these that Brian happened to read the one from Alex. Yeah. That's so cool. And so you, you flew on like how much notice you, you, you know, they wrote back and said, sure, join us. And you just dropped everything and said, I'm out of here. Yeah. I FaceTimed with Karen and Brian once. I think Brady was like in a different part of Africa in a wedding. 
kind of chatted with them. And then a few days later, they called me back and they're like, if you can be in South Africa in one week, then you can cross the Atlantic with us. Um, and <laughs> wow. I was like, can I have two weeks? Uh, and then, yeah, I just went, but I was, I was already floating around and like traveling for most of the year anyways, and kind of subleasing rooms here and there. So it wasn't, it wasn't totally crazy. And I already worked for myself. So it's not like I had to quit my job and pack up my life. It was like, right. All right, well, here we go again. That's great. When you have that, that freedom to do that and take those opportunities when they come your way. Yeah. To say yes. And then you guys sailed together on Delos for how long? Two and a half, three years, three, three years. years. Yeah. We were together for three years, three years on Delos total. Yeah. And for that last year, you were a captain, right, Brady? Yeah, for that last year, Brian and Karen were pregnant, so they flew off to Sweden to go and have baby Sierra in Sweden, and Alex and I took over the boat full-time, just the two of us, brought on our own crew of, what well, we had four, five, three of us, so it was five total. We did a full lap of the North Atlantic Ocean. We left from Fort Lauderdale, uh, we went to Bermuda, went to Azores, went to um, the Canary Islands, and then back to the Caribbean. Um, and the whole nice. trip was... Six months, that part. Six months? Mm -hmm. But total, it was, yeah. It was pretty much we had the boat to ourselves for almost a full year. So for those who, who haven't, probably those few who haven't seen the videos, tell us about Delos. What, what kind of boat is she? How big? Delos is a 53-foot ML Super Maramu. So she was built in La Rochelle, France in the year 2000. Um, she's a super famous, well, not Dell specifically, Amel as a brand is a, a super trusty, seaworthy blue water boat. The guy that designed these boats had been designing blue water vessels for 30 or 40 years. And the Super Marmu that was built in around 2000 was kind of his pinnacle of what a blue water cruising boat should be. Um, and she definitely has held up. I mean, the boat is, yeah, over 20 years old now, and she's just as strong as ever. Uh, she has a catch rig, which is really nice because you can separate the loads. So versatile when it comes to heaving two or, you know, hanging, hanging a hammock or putting up laundry. Or <laughs> yeah. Sail configuration. Sail configuration is incredible because you, you spread the loads out. Yeah, being a catch, some of the weather that we've been in was really really great to have a catch and not have everything sitting right on that main mast. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I joined Andy Shell and, and Mia sailing last summer, summer of 2019. And it wasn't that long after they had come back from sailing with you guys in Svalbard. Oh, cool. They were still on a high from that trip. <laughs> and I want to talk to you about that because you recently finished up quite a big project, a wonderful documentary series. It's called 80 Degrees North. Is that right? Yep. So tell us a little bit about kind of the story of how that came about. It's kind of cool. And then about that experience. We were sailing across uh, the Southern Atlantic from Africa to Brazil. And at some point, uh, Brian received an email from Andy and they had met before previously uh, because they kind of, Brian and, and Karen and Andy and Mia kind of have an interesting overlap because both the boys are American, both the wives are Swedish. Yeah. And they ended up 
and then yeah both making sailing a living so obviously they knew of each other and they crossed paths in Sweden um and so Andy had set aside some time when the boat would be in Svalbard between trips that he kind of wanted to do a a, f a friend trip of sorts um up in Svalbard but document the whole journey and so of course who comes to mind but the yeah the Delos crew so Delos. sent an email and said do you guys do you guys want to come do you want to be a part of this and yeah all of us said yes immediately without really knowing anything like we didn't even know where Svalbard was we had to google it it wasn't on the charts on the boat super interesting because of those factors so yeah we kind of planned the next year I think we had about a year heads up they were doing a bunch of planning on their end, getting the boat ready and safety and permits and all this stuff. And on our end, we were making sure that we could get the boat to a safe place where we could leave Delos to take off for a bit. And then we flew up to Svalbard and... Yeah, it was a very, very um, unique circumstance because this is the first time that the Delos crew had left Delos, right? To go do another filming mission. It was awesome because we could 100% focus on filming and storytelling whereas when Ron Delos I mean there's a thousand aspects of running the boat and checking weather and provisioning and filming and everything that goes along with with running Delos YouTube channel and the boat itself and we could kind of take a step back from the logistics of sailing and running a boat to completely filming and telling a story yeah and it was it was great it was really incredible to be in that position so yeah we flew up to up to Svalbard it was uh, me, Blue, Kirill, our other guy that sailed with us around South Africa for a bit, who also edits a lot of Delos episodes, and Brian and Karen, and then Andy and Mia from Eastbjorn. And they also brought a photographer along, James Ostroms, who is an incredible British dude that was just like all smiles all the time, ready for any adventure. Mm -hmm. So right away, like when we met them, we had eight people total. We just knew that this group of people we were just all stoked, man. We we're all just like, we don't care where we go or what we do. Like, let's just leave the dock and go see the Arctic. Like, let's see what the fuck happens. And yeah, exactly what it was. And we just tried to capture every single moment from a from a very ah, I don't want to say like cinematography way, cin cin cinematic cinematic way, but in a different way than we normally do the Delos episodes. The Delos episodes have a deadline and. You have to film and then edit and release an episode where this, it, since the beginning of the planning of it, we wanted to film it in a way that we weren't held back by those time constraints. We could really put our creativity into it and spend the extra time designing some sort of series or documentary the way that we wanted to. Yeah, so we this is what it was. It was it's about two years after the trip when you released it. Is that? Yeah, it was about two and a half years. Two and a half years, yeah. Um, Although we weren't working on it that full time because during that time that it was that two and a half year period is when we were on the boat doing that lap or multiple laps or whatever we did <laughs> of the North Atlantic. Yeah. Um, so on the back burner for months at a time and then we'd work on it for like two months really hardcore and then it would be on the back burner. We wouldn't even look at the project for three or four months. Did it get so harder as it got farther away? Uh, like to, 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 I don't know. Not that it was that long ago, but kind of remember what, what it was. And Well, we had, we had a couple of things working in our favor. Number one, the footage itself was 
so incredible. You know, polar bears, beluga whales, walruses, and just kind of us in this different environment where, and don't get me wrong, because I love a good tropical island, but when you sail into so many tropical islands, you're like, oh, it's another tropical island. Like, right. I don't know, it's just- There's freaking sand on everything. You know, <laughs> and then when you go here, <laughs> all of us just had, it was it was such a special experience to all of that and the wildlife that we saw and the, gla the glaciers and everything. It was just, it was so unique that it didn't, it didn't get old, but also um, we edited it with Kirill, who Brady mentioned as a South African, um, guy that still works with us on Delos and and so basically I would say it was actually kind of worked on pretty consecutively throughout those two years because you know Kira would have it work yeah. on it for two or three months at a time he would send it back our way and then I would be able to look at it with kind of new eyes and make whatever changes do anything and then send it back to him he would have it for another few months send it back so it kind of feels like it was able to to grow and develop into a different way. Whereas when you have to edit something and you have two weeks to edit an episode and it has to go out on, you know, the following Friday, it's just, you, there's only so much time. There's only so much you can do with it. And the fact that we got to work on it, pass it back and forth between all of us was really helpful to see kind of the gaps or like, well, this is getting a little slow here. Let's put something funny in there. Or, oh, that part actually doesn't make sense if you weren't there um, and I think it kind of allowed it to grow into uh yeah a more complete film yeah I totally yeah. agree I think the separation from it for a little bit gave new eyes and fresh perspectives and you were able to see it again and be like oh that's whatever I edited last time that's shit like let's take that out or we definitely need to add something there well there is a lot of amazing footage in it it's gorgeous and I just have to say the beluga whale scenes are unbelievable yeah <laughs> just so, amazing that, that was one for the books without giving too much without giving too much away that's definitely my favorite part of the entire four-part series and yeah watching it back you get chills and people can um, you you guys released it yourself and and yeah. uh, kind of pay what you pay what you can model uh, where do people go to find that so they can watch the Beluga Whale episode and all the other ones? So it's a four-part miniseries. It's all available on 80northseries.com. Cool. 80northseries.com is where you can go. You go there, you can watch the trailer. You can read about it. There's another video that kind of we describe the process. There's a little box. You just type in what you think is fair to pay for a four-part miniseries like this. So each episode is 30 minutes. So total runtime, if you binge it, is two hours. We kind of approach it in that way so people can have the choice to some people can contribute whatever they want <laughs> and then make it fair for everybody what was the most surprising you guys like you said have done a lot of um tropical sailing but what were some of the biggest surprises for you guys sailing in cold weather up in the arctic i would mm. say the first noticeable difference is obviously you're in the northern hemisphere and it's 24 hours of daylight and everyone kind of took that in different ways. Brady, who's an excellent sleeper and can sleep <laughs> in any conditions, didn't matter. It's a good him, skill to have. <laughs> it is a great skill. <laughs> it is a great skill. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, like for me, I wait when the sun rises, mm -hmm. I, it wakes me up naturally. And when the sun goes down, I start to fade. So for me, I was like, all so, over the place. 
like confused. Um, that was definitely a very noticeable difference. For sure. I think for, for them, I mean, when safety comes into the, into the picture, if you're in the Caribbean or a tropical island and you fall off the boat and nobody notices, you'll probably be able to survive a couple of days or swim to an island and you'll be okay. But up in the Arctic, if, if you fall in, not only are you weighing, wearing a bunch of heavy gear that if your life vest doesn't inflate, you're sinking like that, but then you have hypothermia within, you know, a couple of minutes. So it was, it was a lot more, I, I felt like when, when you're cruising around the Pacific or sorry, the Caribbean Pacific, whatever, and anywhere tropical, you kind of, your world is so big. You can jump off the boat, go swimming. You can go paddleboarding, you can go to the beach. In the Arctic, I felt like everything was like, oh shit, like this is the boat and that's lava. Like you don't want to go there. So it really restricted the whole living space of living on a boat. That's really interesting. Don't have that same, just jump in the water, freedom. No. Yeah. This is something I ask a lot of my guests and it, it kind of, I missed the point at the beginning, but I do want to go back and talk about it. I want to hear how you first got into sailing, how you first started sailing, each of you. Blue, you, you grew up in Petaluma, which there is a marina there. I've driven up there. It's a little far up the river, but did you sail at all? No. On that note, though, when I was a kid, like a baby, yeah, my parents had a boat and they would take it down the puddle in the river. It was a speedboat. It wasn't a sailboat. Um, but yeah, they would take it down the river and play around in the bay, go to Angel Island and do all that stuff. I got into sailing when I was in Colombia one summer. I had made some friends the previous summer in Nicaragua that were riding their bikes from Canada to Argentina. They ended up in Colombia and were like, we're going to make a film together. And so I went down to Columbia, we were starting to plan this whole mission. And then the boat that they had come by, cause actually, although Central America and South America touch by land, it's the Darien Gap. Mm -hmm. So the only way to get across is to fly, take a boat or go through like drug lord territory. What's the Darien Gap, you can't cross it by road? Physically you can, but it's all drug lords. Like uh, it's run by drug lords. Right. So it's super, super, super dangerous. Like you- You fly or take a boat? You fly or take a boat. Damn. So when they were in Panama, they had made friends with this kind of gypsy pirate guy that brought people, backpackers back and forth. And this guy had, you know, let them put their bikes on the boat and gone across to Colombia. So I arrive in Cartagena, we make plans for this film. And then they're like, yeah, but this crazy pirate guy wants to meet you because he knows you make films. <laughs> so I go meet this guy and he's like, I want you to live aboard my catamaran for the summer and make like a pilot film about what it's like for all these young backpackers. And I was already into scuba diving and just, yeah, always a water baby. And so I was like, I'm gonna go do that instead of make this, this bike film. So hopped aboard that boat, lived on a 52 foot catamaran with like 15 to 20 people at a time, <laughs> bouncing between Panama and Columbia for the summer, slept outside every night, never showered and that's what I thought it meant to live on a boat. I didn't realize that you could like have it. When I got to Dallas and they're like, here's your bunk. And it was, it was, <laughs> it was in the salon. And I was like, oh, I get a bunk? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first entryway. And, and, and that was when I first started seeing, you know, cruisers and stuff throughout the sandblast and realized, oh, people live, live on their boats. People sail around the world. This is a, a lifestyle. This is, this is a real thing. And that definitely changed my perspective. And, and I knew that I wanted to get back on the boat again and just happened to be Dallas. 
Is that film out there? Can people see it? Yeah, it's actually, it's on my Vimeo. Uh, if you go to Vimeo and search Blue View Productions and the name of the boat is uh, Hitano Blue Del Mar. V-U-E. Correct. Not Blue you. V-U-E. <laughs> that, that was my production business before. Hitano Del Mar. Yeah, I made a two-part series, 20 minutes each of of the the chaos that should be a great reality show that, that was a great reality show but yeah. so it's out there it's out there super interesting how blue's camera and and background of that led her to sailing and like my sailing led me to the camera aspect of it it's like we both kind of came from different directions but met up with the sailing traveling camera aspect for you the sailing came before the filming where yeah. did sailing come from, Brady? Yeah, that's we get that question all the time. I get that question a lot. And they're like, oh man, I wish my parents taught me how to sail or I wish I grew up sailing. And I was like, I didn't I didn't grow up sailing. Like my dad gets seasick. My mom doesn't sail. Like nobody in my family sails except my for my brother and I. So I didn't really learn how to sail until I was 21 or 22, somewhere around there. And I was in Florida. I, I was working for the Boy Scouts down in the Florida Keys. And I got a job as a dive instructor and eventually they, they like worked my way up through captain. So I was, I was captaining these dive boats, taking Boy Scouts out diving in the, within the same complex, there was a lot of sailboats. So whenever like we'd finish diving for the day or driving these big power boats, I'd go and get on the sailboats and we'd go out for a night or two or whatever, just go out for the day, go lobstering. And it was just, it was my time off. It was like my, it was so incredible to be able to do the same things I was doing but instead of having these big twin turbo diesels, it was like, you go by the wind and you go a lot slower, but you have music on and you're drinking beers. And it's like a whole, I don't know. It's like a whole culture versus like, let's go, let's get there. Let's dive. Let's go home. It was, it was a big thing. So I kind of learned to sail in, in the Florida Keys in Isla Mirada. And then of course, at the same time, my brother, Brian, who I sailed with was up in Seattle and he was learning to sail at the same time. Was that and just coincidence? I, I mean, that you both yeah. decided to get into sailing? It was complete coincidence for sure. Because I was, I was diving and he was working for Microsoft. And we have a, we have a middle brother between us. And we owe a lot to, to him because he was visiting Brian in Seattle and was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, he, Brian had an apartment on Lake Union, I think. Oh, yeah. I used to teach sailing on Lake Union. But he, I think, I'm pretty sure he had an apartment on Lake Union and he had access to a dock. And our middle brother, which is Brett, so B-R-B-R-B-R, <laughs> Brett was like, dude, what the fuck? You live on Lake Union, you don't have a boat. What are you doing? So like they went out, went on Craigslist and they found this 22 foot Catalina, like that trip. And then Brian got that 22 foot Catalina and started learning to sail. And then at that same time, I was down in the Florida Keys learning to sail. So it wasn't connected. It wasn't at all. Like we didn't make a plan and be like, you learn to sail, I'll learn to sail and we'll go. We just kind of both happened to fall into it. And then Brian obviously fell in love with it and, and worked up in his career, started his own company, left Microsoft and had enough funds to, to put a down payment on Delos, which was the boat that we left on. Seattle is a great sailing town. I spent a little bit yeah. of time. Actually, I bought my first boat when I was a little, little Hobie cat when I was living in Seattle. Now you find yourselves in the mountains. I guess maybe the maybe the cold water of the Arctic uh, rubbed off and you had to find some cold water, Lake Tahoe. There's something about the balance of life that if you go too far one way, it's just too much, no matter what it is. Like it's all in moderation, right? 
for me specifically, and of course Alex as well, was like living on a boat full time and being in tropical weather and just constantly moving from place, not so much the weather, I guess, but constantly moving from place to place really was wearing on me and, and was like, I had a dream of always going, moving to the mountains and living at a ski resort, teaching snowboarding or whatever, just snowboarding for a season. Cause I think there's something incredible, just like an open ocean, there's something about the mountains that's raw and pure and kind of brings you back to who you are, just like being out in the middle of the ocean does. And yeah, when, when uh, it was kind of, we were, we were on that path of, of looking to move to the mountain town for a season. And Alex obviously has connections in Tahoe. And I was like, I've never been to Tahoe, but I've heard incredible things. And there's a lake there and there's mountains, like what? So we, we started coming up here for winters, like two weeks at a time and then a month at a time. And then finally, when we, when we left Delos about a year ago, Brian and Karen came back with Sierra. Mm-hmm. Just, it all kind of just like was perfect timing for all of us. Like they were coming back with the baby. Alex and I were like, we're out. <laughs> we need to go to the mountains for a little bit. Like we just finished this lap of the North Atlantic and, and we need to balance life out a bit. So yeah, we came up to Lake Tahoe and there's something very, very, very special to, to me and to us. The fact that we can sail in our own backyard Tahoe's 12 by 28 miles. So there's some, there's some decent room to move around. To me, it kind of feels like traveling without moving because the whole environment just shifts around you. You know, you go from this tropical mountain paradise in summertime, Mm -hmm. sailing and floating the river and doing all this stuff. And then it just changes around you. And all of a sudden you're, you're snowboarding and you're skiing. And it's, it's just, it's, it's so different. It's like two different worlds, but you don't have to move. Everything just moves around you. Um, yeah. and we both love snowboarding and the snow and it's, it's a special place for sure. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you've spent time up here. And- a little bit. My wife uh, grew up going to the mountains and she's a mountain person. And we have this push and pull between the sea and the mountains that sounds like you guys yeah. understand. I watched a video recently that you guys made, uh, I think last winter of uh, snowmobiling up and into the mountains yeah. and so crazy it was great i mean this is the first time in my life i've lived in some place with like seasons i mean i i was in arizona for a while when i was super young but from florida which is like year round 70 75 and then to sailing around the world near the equator and then i moved to tahoe and i got to see the seasons change and it's just like it's crazy wait so you grew up in florida brady or where did you yeah well i I was born in arizona in flagstaff which is kind of the mountains But when my parents separated and I was nine years old, we moved to Florida. So I grew up in Florida from the time I was nine until I left on Delos full time, which was, yeah, 21, 22. So yeah, 11 or 12 years I was in Florida. So I mentioned that video that that you guys just did um, last winter, but you haven't been, it looks like, or you haven't been putting out a lot of videos recently. You were obviously working on, on the 80 degrees north footage. What's it like to be putting the cameras down? Is it a relief? Do you miss it? I mean, I imagine that there's pressure when you're on Delos to always be filming and capturing everything as well as just being. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You get that right on the, right on the head. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like on Delos, you film everything all the time and it's second nature. And there, I, I do love it. Like I love that aspect of filming it, filming everything all the time. But at some point you're just like, 
I, I, I don't want to film my breakfast anymore. Like I made, made breakfast. I don't need to film it. Or like I'm going to the beach again. I don't need to film that. It's just, it, it gets very repetitive and it's not as fulfilling as it was when you first started. And for us to come to Tahoe and yeah, put the cameras down and, and we, we went head first into 80 North and finishing that documentary series. So we weren't filming, but we were full on editing for, you know, months and months, six months, seven months. We were full on just like immersed in that was really nice. And then once we released that, we've slowly started picking the camera up again. And like you said, we started our own YouTube channel. Uh, we kind of recapped our year since leaving Delos. And we have a lot of incredible films that are in the works coming our way. And that's something that, that we talk about often is our, our passion for filmmaking and traveling and just videography and photography will never go away. It's just needed a little bit of a break to rejuvenate ourselves because we did get a little bit burnt out on yeah. that last trip and it's just intense and it's full on. And once something becomes no longer fun, it's like the whole point of Delos is to preach happiness and to follow your heart and follow your passion. And then once you're like, whoa, this, this is not a good balance for me anymore. And I don't feel good. You have to change things. Like you just yeah. have to do something. Well, that's awesome to hear that, that you have lots of ideas and, are excited to pick up the camera again because there are a lot of people out there who are excited to see what comes next. And <laughs> on that topic of what's coming next, tell us about Cruisers Academy. Yeah, what is Cruisers Academy, Blue? <laughs> tell us. Cruisers Academy. <laughs> <laughs> I got to work on my elevator pitch. But, uh, I mean, it's an idea that we talked about on on when we were still living on Delos of trying to create some kind of a sailing school we're empowering people to get out on the water. I know sailing can be quite intimidating initially. So we originally thought about doing it on the ocean. And then we were, you know, in Tahoe in March when the whole world did whatever it did. Um, and we ended up staying longer than we had initially thought. And then- Buying a house. And yeah, we bought yeah. a condo. Congratulations. A condo. Thank a you. Condo. Thank so. you. But yeah, everything just, started happening to us I guess this summer in, in a good way when you kind of have you know not to sound cliche but signs from the universe when the universe is just making things very clear and and easy for you and just dumping luck in your lap um and that's yeah that's what happened to us up here we just kind of started teaching randomly and then it turned into more and we decided you know what we should start Cruisers Academy with the Tahoe chapter first because Tahoe is a great place to sail. It's super beautiful. It's very unique. Um, it's a great place to learn on, you know, 20 foot size boats that are kind of template boats that you can move up from. And we're here and we like being here. So yeah, yeah everything just fell into place. And now we have three about to be four Catalinas for our Tahoe Academy. Oh, great. Uh, but for anyone that's, that's worried or, or stressed that we're now landlocked forever, that's not the case either. We're just living out this chapter of our life. And we're also looking at a boat that's actually in the Bay Area. Um, yeah, it's Osalito. Our eyes on a very special boat. And nice. I'm not gonna give away too much right now, but we definitely have plans and dreams of yeah, getting back out on the ocean and, and continuing to, to sail around and travel and, and then come back to Tahoe and balance things out again. So. Cruises Academy is a sailing school and a YouTube channel and 
more to be discovered. We're still, <laughs> we're, we're still trying to figure out that answer. <laughs> That's yeah. great. That's great. And talk a little bit about sailing on Lake Tahoe. I've only done it once. There's a place in North Lake Tahoe where, where I rented a boat. I don't remember what marina it was. They've said, you sail before? I said, yeah, I sailed before. And said, okay, see ya. It's like, uh, you, you maybe just tell me a little bit about where maybe I shouldn't go or, <laughs> but uh, it was a lot of fun. It was gorgeous, but it was fluky. It is, especially on like the Northwest side. It's, it's challenging. It's definitely a challenging place to sail, but from my perspective of sailing in a lot of different places in the world, it's, it's such a good place to learn. And yeah. it does exactly what you want it to do. The wind turns on in the afternoon in the summer, you get, you get the zephyr that comes through and it's 15 to 20 knots and it's perfectly consistent. And then it dies by like 8 p.m. And then there's a beautiful sunset and glassy calm water. It's seriously the most incredible place that you can learn sailing because it's in the summer. It is very predictable. The wind is consistent. It's just enough to like get you going and to learn sail trim and to learn to reach and, and all that stuff and not be too much where you're like, shit, there's eight foot swells and how am I supposed to do this? And I'm seasick. And it's a, it's a nice entry into the world of sailing. And like Alex said, we had no plan to move to Tahoe and start a sailing school. Like we moved here, bought a condo that we were going to literally leave for like a year or two and rent out and go teach people how to sail across oceans. And then COVID right. hit, like we better reinvent the shit out of what the hell's going on. <laughs> So here we are still in our condo and, and yeah, now we have the school on the lake, which is perfect. I love it. Adaptable and resilient. That's what this year has been all about. Yeah, definitely. The one other thing I remember about San Leon Tahoe is when we turned around to go back, I said, oh shit, the coastline <laughs> all looks the same to me. <laughs> there were no markers. <laughs> no, there's not. How, how's interest been? It's been really good. Really, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of cool because there's also there's you know the actual Lake Tahoe community of people yeah. that live here and, and are interested, and then obviously people that know us from the internet. It was cool last summer the way that we kind of started it, just naturally and organically. We got a really good feel for it, the way to do things right. You know, how long should the courses be? What should we teach? Are people willing to fly in and yeah, people definitely were. So it was a great kind of test summer and we're actually going to start opening up bookings for um, summer 2021 in the next couple of weeks here. So we'll see. We'll let you know. <laughs> the interest yeah. is there. There's a lot of people that want to fly to Tahoe or drive to Tahoe to learn. And right now we're just offering uh, basics of sailing. So like, how does wind work? How does a boat float? How do sails work? You know, how to check weather, all like the stuff that you really need to be able to take a 20 foot boat out on your own. I never would have thought we would focus on when we left Delos. We were like, we're going straight. We're teaching people how to cross oceans. They need to provision and like check weather and passage making and survival at sea. And, and it's like, no, like let's, let's start from the ground up and get people that are like, maybe they want to try it out. They can start on small boats and there's nothing like watching people get hooked, right? For the first time being like, oh, this is really cool. You mean there's no, mo we're just moving from the wind? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like I said, it's, I think sailing at first can be intimidating, but there's a lot of people that kind of dream about it. Like, you know, the 
the people that we taught this summer, a lot of them said, you know, I've wanted to learn my entire life and they're 40 or 50 years old. And so to, to, to see them have the experience where things start to click or, you know, they bought a boat and they don't know how to sail it yet. And there's all these different scenarios, but just, yeah, to, to kind of break things down for people in a way that they can begin to digest and, and watch them really experience it for the first time is, is pretty awesome. That's cool. And Tahoe is such a destination place to begin with. It's fantastic that, yeah, I imagine people willing to come in and get a house, rent a house, spend a week, learn to sail. Yeah, that's an idea. That's Sounds great, right? <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's cruisersacademy.com. Is that where people find that? Right. Yeah. You yeah. can search Cruisers Academy on Instagram, on YouTube, cruisersacademy.com. It's all there. Awesome. What haven't we touched on? I mean, we covered a lot of ground here. I think it's about it, man. I think we covered pretty yeah. much everything from the ground up. <laughs> well, we will stay tuned for news of a possible bigger boat in Sausalito. It will. It's coming. It's happening. Eventually. <laughs> well, good luck with all of it. That's exciting. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for, for chatting with us and excited to meet you in person one day. That wraps up this week's episode. As Brady mentioned in the interview, you can find the Cruisers Academy on Instagram, YouTube, or at cruisersacademy.com. And you can follow Brady's brother, Brian, his wife, Karen, and their little one on svdelos.com. You can find me on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing or reach out to me directly via email at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. As always, I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show, and until next time, smooth sailing.